Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Ocean State Bird Club, happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 761. Happy New Year from all of us here at Talking Birds. We're just a few days away from what is sometimes called the dead of winter. The coldest part of the season when between January 10th and February 10th, Average temperatures in most of North America usually reach their lowest point of the year. But it can be encouraging to know that even though spring seems very far away, it may not be that way for many birds. As early as late January, at least in southern states, some resident birds like northern mockingbirds may already start doing a little spring singing. And way up north and west in British Columbia, Canada, Pacific wrens are known to begin serious vocalizing by the middle of February and for great horned owls. Nesting season has already begun in many parts of the country. In just a few minutes we'll meet another of the birds that may do some singing on sunny days in the dead of winter, reminding us that spring is not really all that far away, relatively speaking at least. Listen carefully here, this is a little bit hard to hear, at least this part. It's our mystery bird, and this is a preview of our mystery bird contest. Plucking, I mean, coming along in just a little bit. Here are some clues to get you ready for that mystery bird contest. Our bird is a thick-bodied bird with a moderately long tail, rounded wings, and feathered legs. It's cryptically colored to blend in with the forest floor. It can appear in two different forms or morphs, reddish or gray. Our bird is non-migratory, found in forests from the Appalachian Mountains across... Canada to Alaska, foraging on the ground or in trees, eating buds and twigs, leaves and ferns, soft fruits and acorns, and a few insects. That's the sound that we most associate, I think, with this bird that you're hearing there right now. We have a beautiful set of prizes, including the Droll Yankees' original iconic A6F classic tube feeder as a mystery bird prize this morning. And bonus prizes include a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game, plus a big bag of delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly birds and beans coffee, and even another bonus prize, the spectacular National Audubon Society 2020 calendar um, featuring an entire year's worth of gorgeous bird photographs. I know we've used up a little bit of that calendar, but there's still... uh, Lots of it uh, to come. Let's see what's next on our show here. It's this time. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you extra, right now extra, on our brand new TalkingBirds.com website and Facebook page. While Australian wildfires extra, extra, are impacting close to half a billion mammals, birds, and reptiles. We send our best wishes to our friends and everyone being impacted by those really unprecedented blazes in southeast Australia. A good resolution for the new year? Flirting. 
What is it? Well, it's something we're working on here, and our man Mike O'Connor explains what we're up to on our website uh, right now. And a puffin scratches itself with a stick and makes history in the process. Those are some of the stories on our TalkingBirds.com website right now and on our Facebook page as well. And don't forget to check out our new Kids in Nature page for some terrific ideas about getting kids interested in nature and birds, thanks to our own Freya McGregor. We'll offer our salute this week, our conservation salute, to this week's guest right here in our studio. That would be Dr. John Kreischer. More about that and why in just a couple of minutes when we introduce John. Meanwhile, we have some listeners to salute. They would be listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors, helping us to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. So thank you to Carlos Spivey from Coraopolis, Pennsylvania. Carlos describes himself as a new birder and one of the youngest in his area. And he's a contributing writer for The Peregrine, his local club's newsletter, He's also currently studying forestry and wildlife conservation at Penn Foster College. And we're going to be hearing more from Carlos, uh, by the way, very soon. And thank you so much to Paul and Wendy Peterson from Rama, New Mexico. Paul says, we are homesteading in the mountains of northwest New Mexico, off-grid, only solar and rainwater. Not many birds when we first arrived, but since we provide feeders and water, we now have a wide variety of visitors and Residents, that's pretty cool. Paul followed that up and said, Actually, my wife and I think it would be cool to be 60s radicals still on the run, but I'm just really a retired Presbyterian minister, a radical social justice ministry for most of my career, but law abiding. Well, thank you so much. He also says this In addition to bird feeding and watching, we have chickens as pets. Talk about talking birds, they are chatty creatures. And we understand a good deal of what they say, especially when they are mad and start cussing. Probably something like this. Well, thank you so much, Paul and Wendy, and thank you, Carlos and Talking Birds listeners. We hope you'll join them in our ambassadors' family by allowing us to send you some of our info cards for you to hand out at your convenience to friends and neighbors and fellow birders. To join the family, just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Get Involved button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's it. Still to come on our show today, we're excited to welcome back to Talking Birds, renowned author and educator John Kreischer. We'll talk about an important letter that he wrote to the New York Times on behalf of birds and conservation. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment. You'll have some answers to our questions about just why is it that birds fly in flocks, some of them forming those distinctive V patterns. And up next, that bird we mentioned that may sing on sunny winter days is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. This is not our mystery bird contest. It's just a little multiple choice quiz. Ready? What is a passerella? Is it A, a music form similar to a passacaglia? B, a Sicilian pastry like a pignolata? Or C, the genus name of today's featured feathered friend? 
Well, this is a show about birds, so C would have to be the correct answer. And most experts say that this bird is the only member of this genus. The bird is the beautiful and beautiful-sounding Passerella iliaca, the fox sparrow. A bird whose color ranges from the foxy red that gives it its common name to dark brown with four different races, or maybe subspecies, covering the whole North American continent, breeding mostly in Canada and Alaska. Individual fox sparrows have been spotted in Greenland, Iceland, Ireland, Germany, and Italy. It's thought that they probably journeyed at least part way to those places after landing on ships when they'd wandered offshore during migration. And this Big Sparrow's beautiful song inspired 19th century naturalist William Brewster to write this. At all hours of the day, in every kind of weather, late into the brief summer, its voice rises among the evergreen woods, filling the air with quivering, delicious melody. Here's the sound he wrote about. Look for the fox sparrow foraging for insects on leaf litter and bare ground, usually under dense cover, finding its prey with a double scratch movement, hopping forward and then immediately back, scratching both feet at once backward, just the way towhees do. By the way, a group of fox sparrows are collectively known not only as a flock, but also, in a nod to their common name, a den or a slyness of fox sparrows. Passarella iliaca, the fox sparrow. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Welcome again to our show. It's number 761 and Happy New Year again to all. Please do uh, check out our new website. We think it looks pretty nice at TalkingBirds.com and you can also follow us, hope you will, at Facebook and Twitter in our newly reactivated Instagram page, which is uh, getting a lot of uh, likes thanks to our Freya McGregor and some great posts and pictures that she has put up there. Well, John Kreischer is a professor emeritus of biology at Wheaton College here in Massachusetts where he has taught courses in ecology, especially tropical ecology and ornithology and vertebrate evolution. He's the author of numerous books. His most recent are The New Neotropical Companion, follow-up to the famous 1989 original, second follow-up, and Tropical Ecology. John is a fellow of the American Ornithological Society and has served as president of the Association of Field Ornithologists, the Nuttall Ornithological Club, and the Wilson Ornithological Society. And he's an international wildlife tour leader with Wildside Nature Tours. That's a pared-down bio of Dr. John Kreischer, who joins us right here in our studio this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ray. It's great to be back with you. Well, we're certainly happy to have you back here again, John. And your most recent writing uh, is something quite different than what we just described. It's a letter you wrote to the New York Times, which they published prominently with a headline on December 29th. In their lead-in to your letter, the Times wrote, A new interpretation of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act in 2017 means that as of now, companies are no longer subject to prosecution or fines, even after a disaster like the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in 2010, 
that destroyed or injured about a million birds and for which BP paid a hundred million dollars in fines. And they described you, John, as a reader finding it profoundly sad that his grandchildren may not enjoy the diversity of bird life that he has. I wonder if you would read that letter for us, John. Okay, Ray, I'll be happy to do that. Um, It begins to the editor. It is ironic that on Christmas Day, you ran a front-page story detailing the Trump administration's continued assaults on the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and various other environmental protections having to do with birds and other forms of wildlife. Parentheses, Trump policy ends penalties in bird deaths, period. End parentheses. Over a century ago, it used to be a tradition in some places to go out on Christmas Day and kill birds for sport. Frank M. Chapman, an ornithologist at the American Museum of Natural History, suggested an alternative to count rather than kill birds, and the Christmas bird count was established. Bird watching prospered throughout the 20th century, and the birds' diversity and beauty stimulated the growth of conservation and environmental awareness. The conservation successes of the past century apparently are too much for this administration, even as the total number of North American birds has declined by 29% in the past 50 years, a loss of about 3 billion birds. The nuanced wording of the policy revisions, that as long as one does not kill birds directly, it is just fine to kill them indirectly, with no legal or economic consequences, borders on the ridiculous. To the people in power, birds may seem to be non-essential parts of nature, indulgences for those of us who admire, watch, and study them. Try telling that to my grandchildren. And that is what is so profoundly sad. When our grandchildren reach adulthood, the callous and irresponsible actions being taken today will have made their world far worse than what their grandparents enjoyed during their youth. John's letter that appeared in the New York Times under a headline on December 29th. And John, you've gotten quite a lot of reaction to that letter, haven't you? Uh, Yes, I have. I've gotten quite a fair number of emails about it all um, agreeing with me. I haven't gotten any disagreements yet. Nobody seems to think it's a really good idea to undo all the bird protections and unravel our ecological world. And I've had very good response on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Let me just read what the Times wrote, the article to which you referred. This is pretty short, but here's what it says. As the state of Virginia prepared for a major bridge and tunnel expansion in the tidewaters of the Chesapeake Bay last year, Engineers understood that the nesting grounds of 25,000 gulls, black skimmers, royal terns, and other seabirds were about to be plowed under. To compensate, they considered developing an artificial island as a haven. Then in June 2018, the Trump administration stepped in, while the federal government, quote, appreciates, end quote, the state's efforts. New rules in Washington had eliminated criminal penalties for incidental migratory bird deaths that came in the course of normal business. According to administration officials, such conservation measures were now purely voluntary. The state ended its island planning. The island is one of dozens of bird preservation efforts that have fallen away in the wake of the policy change in 2017 that was billed merely as a technical clarification to a century-old law protecting migratory birds. Across the country, birds have been killed and nests destroyed by oil spills. 
construction crews and chemical contamination, all with no response from the federal government, according to emails, memos, and other documents viewed by the New York Times. Not only has the administration stopped investigating most bird deaths, the documents show, it has discouraged local governments and businesses from taking precautionary measures to protect birds. That's from the New York Times, and that's what spurred the letter from our guest, John Kreischer. And, uh, John, we were talking off the air about the idea that this is not just about birds. Oh, of course not. And one of the... uh uh, one of the great contributions that interest in birds uh, provided in the 20th century is it brought conservation and ecology together. A lot of people who watch birds get out into the environment and begin to realize how essential it is. And ecologists, of course, have known that for years. And as the discipline of ecology matured and matured in the 20th century, became more and more quantitative and more and more uh, predictable in ways that you could really understand what's going on in nature became possible to mitigate and restore damaged environments. There's lots of examples. It became possible to get enough data on population numbers and birds to be able to, or other forms of wildlife, to be able to take appropriate conservation action. There are lots of successes, such as the bald eagle, brown pelican, osprey, etc. We've done well in conservation when we've applied science to it. The current administration seems to despise science. It's like going back to the medieval times in the Middle Ages. It is truly, truly appalling and scary. Uh, But indeed, we have the ability to keep birds, uh, bird populations thriving if we simply apply ourselves. It's going to be more difficult because, of course, birds have lost habitat inevitably as populations have increased, including in our own country. But uh, as the article in the New York Times pointed out, it's quite possible to mitigate the damage to the environment that you talked about, Ray, mm-hmm. and build a new uh, nesting area for those uh, terns and black skimmers and gulls. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have been a big deal. It's, it, it was business uh, practices to do that, applied ecology. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, it seems too much for this gang that uh, currently is in charge to be able to tolerate that. And it is just a tragic mistake. And we offered our little conservation salute to John Kreischer, who was also saluted recently um, for his conservation work. So we thank him for not just, of course, that letter, but for his conservation work over many years. John Kreischer is a professor emeritus of biology at Wheaton College here in Massachusetts, teacher of courses in ecology, especially tropical ecology, ornithology, and vertebrate evolution. He's the author of numerous books, including the forthcoming Peterson Reference Guide to Bird Behavior. We'll talk more about that book soon. And he is a genuine defender of our planet. Thank you so much, John, for all you do. And Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year to you, Ray. And again, thank you for uh, inviting me back. Our pleasure indeed. Up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? (laughs) That's a tough question. Um, Well, there was this one time... I went camping with my parents in a forest back when I was maybe like eight or nine. And um, I can remember one night we were laying out in our hammocks and we were just, you know, watching the trees rustling in the wind above us and we could hear the sounds of the forest all around us. Frogs singing and owls calling and the creek running nearby. It was amazing. It felt like we were a part of it all. 
I don't know if I do it justice trying to describe it, but I'll definitely never forget it. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. And we're happy to say John Kreischer remains with us in the studio here. And we'll maybe do a little uh, hello with Mike O'Connor coming along. Oh, I look forward bit. to that. Yeah. Do you have any <laughs> insults for him? or No, it's no, usually the other way around. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, I keep forgetting yeah. that. We, we, we regularly visit Mike's uh, store to get our share of abuse. <laughs> Good to know. You're not the only one. Our Mystery Bird Contest is sponsored by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. The classic sound of our mystery bird here. It's our mystery bird contest. Beautiful prizes uh, will be described here in a moment, but first a description of our mystery bird. Our mystery bird is thick-bodied with a moderately long tail, rounded wings, and feathered legs. It's cryptically colored to blend in with the forest floor. It can appear in two different forms or morphs, reddish or gray. Our bird is non-migratory and found in forests from the Appalachian Mountains or Appalachian Mountains across Canada to Alaska, foraging on the ground or in trees, eating buds and twigs, leaves and ferns, soft fruits and acorns, and a few insects. Beautiful prizes include the Droll Yankees' original, iconic, A6 classic tube feeder, featuring durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew, and this is a great part, a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Not many feeders can say that. Bonus prize is a download to your iOS device or online access to the LockWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game, plus a big bag of that delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly birds and beans coffee and the spectacular National Audubon Society 2020 calendar featuring an entire year's worth of gorgeous bird photographs. So some pretty nice prizes there. And here's the phone number to call. We don't want to forget this. 781-837-4900. Call us as soon as you can so we'll have time for our contest. 781-837-4900 is the number. Meanwhile, why do birds, some of them, Geese and swans and ducks fly in V formations. Mike O'Connor has some thoughts about that. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds. We're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds in conservation. My name is Sue Dory and I live in Granby, Connecticut. I like Talking Birds because it's not only entertaining, but you learn something new every time you listen to it. I encourage others to become Talking Birds ambassadors because it provides an avenue for unity in our concerns about the environment. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at talkingbirds.com. And thanks. Mike O'Connor's down there at the famous Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, and he is here to heap some more abuse on our guest, John Kreischer, and, <laughs> and to talk about why birds fly in V formation, or some birds do. Are you there, Mike? 
I'm here, and uh, congratulations, John. No abuse today. Congratulations on that letter, and good for you. I've already I had placed for your new book an uh, order of 10,000 books, but I just doubled to 20,000 well, after hearing that letter. very kind of you, Mike. I much appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy half of them myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll buy a quarter of them. Uh, you get the rest, Mike. Yeah, that's right. That, that, boy, that worked out good. That, boy. that, was, <laughs> that, that was pretty good. So birds, uh, geese, swans, uh, some ducks are flying in V formations. My theory is that they fly in V's because the W is just too complicated. <laughs> You're right, but, and the Q birds just go in circles. Yeah, that's no good. Yeah, that's kind of a murmuration, I think, instead. Maybe I don't know what that is. I know, yeah. I know we don't have a lot of time, and this yeah. is kind of a topic that maybe Debbie in her science corner probably already talked about, but I just, I've just i been watching the geese fly over my house lately, and they've always been in the V's, and a couple of years ago they came up with some research that they've always thought birds benefited from them. Certain birds, not all birds, certainly the little birds, don't really benefit from flying behind each other, but we all know that race cars and bikers and even runners run behind each other to people behind. They get, it creates less of a drag. But with the birds, because they're not fixed, they're not like a jet, they're not fixed wings, they're flapping, so it creates kind of a updraft when they flap up and down, and the birds to their left or, or right benefit from that, they get more lift from that, and they're able to use less energy. They always suspected that, but as technology got better, they started putting uh, little sensors on the birds, and they found out their heart rate was less. They, they flap left off it less often, the birds in the back. And again, it's pelicans, ibises, uh, geese seem to do that the most, but they gain, they gain benefit for, from flying back because of the up draft created by by the flapping now um what was i talking about ray was uh, talking about birds today birds in uh, uh w formations <laughs> yeah but what's interesting was that the the birds this isn't uh this is more of a learned behavior because they mm -hmm. they took birds they raised birds especially ibises over in europe and they put them behind ultralight airplanes mm -hmm. and the birds just kind of followed it and eventually they figured out this formation pretty much on their own they mm -hmm. they gained the benefit by flying behind these ultralight planes mm -hmm. and they, they gained it but what happens was they would lose kind of their rhythm like you know when you go to all those rock contests you and john go to all the time yeah. and you're clapping along with the band and sometimes yeah. we've all done this we kind of lose the clap somewhere along the line so you have to pause and you kind of have to half clap in between before you start all over again <laughs> well they noticed birds would do that they would lose the benefit of this draft and they would flap along and all of a sudden they'd be kind of caught out of line and then they would have to instantly readjust huh. before they continued flying and so that's that update today. The birds are flying over my yard, and they're not going to do the W's or the Q's anymore. That was all interesting. None of that was true, though, was it, uh, John? Well, no. uh, not the W part. That's <laughs> <laughs> but what, what was cool is they figure it out, don't they, Mike? They do figure it out. Right, and it's not necessarily all uh, innate. They, they benefit from flying behind each other, and they, this is much easier. Experience matters. <laughs> Congratulations again, John. We'll talk to you when the book comes out. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Talk to you next week. Happy New Year. Yo, okay. Back to the Mystery Bird Contest right after this. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter.
Back to the Mystery Bird Contest. We're hearing the sound of our Mystery Bird beautiful prizes uh, await someone who has the right answer or, or who gets the closest to the right answer um, this morning at 781-837-4900. We have Michael somewhere in New York. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Are you in the city or somewhere else? Uh, Long Island, Suffolk County, Center Beach. All right, beautiful. What do you think, uh, Michael, on our mystery bird? You heard all those clues. In I'm going to guess a ruffed grouse. Ruffed grouse. John, uh, would you? Uh, what do you say? Hundred percent agreement. He says hundred percent agreement. That's, that's yes. good enough for us. Nice job, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, if you'll stay on the line, we'll get your info and uh, send you those pretty nifty prizes. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. We have time for a bonus question. You want to do a bonus question? Oh, oh, oh we do? Sure, actually, great. no, we don't. No, I'm sorry. Actually, we don't. Sorry I came in just that. to get his hopes up. I apologize. Oh, sorry, Michael. Uh, it's okay. And we're not going to send you the prizes either. No, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> we are just about out of time this morning. Uh, don't forget to look for John Kreischer's new book, The Peterson Reference Guide to Bird Behavior. We hope to have John again on the show with us again very soon. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher. Freya McGregor and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Ocean State Bird Club. Happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club.